Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And now, a special edition of the Toddcast podcast. Yeah, how you doing? Hey, Doug, thank you, man, for doing this. So how are you holding up with no sports in your world? Oh, I'm holding up fine, you know? I mean, it's funny. We're in, I'm in Florida, and it's with my, you know, my son's here, my daughter's here, so it's been, it's been fine, you know? Right. I mean, I miss it. I miss it, but... Not the end of the world. No, certainly not. And and of course, no, people are going to no. know you as as being a former uh, sportscaster for Sportsnet, a former sports yeah. talk show host. Certainly not a stretch, being that you're a former president, GM, coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Florida Panthers. What was the toughest thing about transitioning from coaching to being a sportscaster? <laughs> oh, that was a. Uh... It wasn't much of a transition because all it was was I got more sleep at night and I uh, <laughs> I was in a basket case most of the time and I I didn't wake up every morning wondering how much my owner hated me or how much the fans hated me or <laughs> what mm. bad news I had to give people. So, you know, I, I'll tell you what, it was, uh, you know, when you're an expansion general manager in the NHL, I mean, being a general manager on a good team is one thing, being a a general manager on an average team, but when you're a general manager of an expansion team, and it was a tough expansion time because, you know, four teams came in over a two or three year period. And it was, you know, it wasn't typical of the Vegas or Seattle one. So it was a grind, let me tell you. And it, I did it. I was in Columbus for nine years and it, uh, you know, obviously I was there before we started to play, but I think six or seven seasons of playing and, uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't easy, I'll tell you that. But you know what? It, it was it was an experience that you'll never forget. You know, I started a franchise from scratch. I, when I moved to Columbus, it was just a gravel pit where the arena was going to go, and we built the arena, and we we staffed up over two hundred people, and we uh, you know we started a franchise. It was a pretty unique experience. So it's something I'll never forget, and it was something I'll always relish. You know. Obviously, that's something you'll never get the ch- I mean, not never get the chance yeah. to do again. But it's certainly something that's yeah. very unique for for your world, for sure. I think the one thing that's frustrating to me as a as a guy that was 22 years in the NHL, I I got to be a head coach of a NHL expansion team, and I got to be general manager of a of a you know an expansion team, and it sort of pisses me off. I never got to be a coach or general manager of an established team mm. i see some of these guys like mark crawford go through four teams or five teams and all of them are good teams i'm thinking like seriously <laughs> couldn't i have had a chance of just one good team once to see what would happen all right instead and, of uh, two expansion teams <laughs> and and they say that that winning the stanley cup is the hardest trophy to win do you agree with that well it was uh, the, the year Crow won it, uh, Crawford won it. He beat an ex- third-year expansion team. I mean, yeah, it was it was a grind. I mean, uh, to go through. I mean, we went through the seven weeks to the. We got to the Stanley Cup Finals, and it was a grueling, grueling uh, seven or eight-week experience. But one of the the best experiences you ever through with your life. So, winning the Stanley Cup is 
is unbelievably challenging. When you look at the teams Colorado had to beat to get to the finals and right. the teams we had to beat to get to the finals, it was just unbelievable. And the, the toll it took on the players and the toll it took on the coaches, it was it was just an amazing experience, but it, it really is grueling for everybody, but fun. The best fun you'll ever have in your life. <laughs> yeah, I love watching it. You famously orchestrated the trade with Chris Draper from the Jets to the Red Wings for future considerations, which turned out to be a buck. Which of your trades are you most proud of, whether it was lopsided or you just couldn't believe that it happened? Well, that was a, a funny one because, you know, I, I, I was assistant GM in Detroit and GM in Adirondack at the time, and mm-hmm. Jimmy Clark, Jimmy Clark, who was our maritime scout, part-time maritime scout, called me, and Jim is now he's director of amateur or director of pro scouting in Ottawa. But he phoned me, he said, "Doug, you got we got to consider this Chris Draper kid. He's playing in Moncton. He's floundering. He's in his third year pro, and it looks like Winnipeg don't like him. And you know, uh, he's a guy that has a chance to be a really good American League player. He's twenty two or twenty three at the time, and you know, so." I phoned Mike Smith, and, and Mike Smith said, hey, uh, Doug, I really like this kid, um, but my coach doesn't like him. And uh, I, I'll do the kid a favor and trade him to you guys for future consideration. So <laughs> then the league stepped in in the fall and said, well, you need future consideration. So we made it, we made it a buck. So it was a, it was a great one. But, but what happened, uh, we go to training camp, and Chris, Chris uh, goes through training camp, has a good camp. Mm-hmm. And we send him to Adirondack, and he and he said to he said to me he said you know to me and Brian Murray he said look I'm going to go back to Toronto and contemplate whether I'm going to quit hockey, I'm going to go back to Toronto and I and so he did and I phoned Newell Brown who was with you guys in Vancouver now and he was our coach in Adirondack he said Newell this this guy uh, you got to give him a call in Toronto and talk him into going to Adirondack because he's a real he could be a real important guy. Newell phoned him talked him into going. And then uh, in January, Scotty Bowman and I go to Hamilton to watch Adirondack play with Newell coaching, and Drapes scores a hat trick. Uh, Timmy Taylor had an unbelievable game. We had also signed him that summer from Vancouver's farm team. And, and, and Chris gets called up that night and played 1,150-some games in the NHL and right. won four Stanley Cups. I mean, it was just a great story. Chris deserves a credit newell does jimmy clark does like a lot of guys deserve a, a lot of credit on that and and drapes had a great career so it was kind of fun dude i mean other I- trades you know when you're an expansion gm you, you don't make a lot of big trades i i made i made a kevin adams i traded was who was a really useful guy for us in in columbus i traded him to florida for ray whitney and ray came to columbus and had a great uh, rejuvenated his career and really took off and played great for us 70 points, all-star. He was a really good player. And then he, he left and finished his career in Detroit and Carolina, but had a really good career. So that was a really good deal for us. And the one I, one I made that was a tough one was I, I trade deadline. I get a call from my owner and they said, Hey, we got Daryl Sador. We had traded Mike Sillinger for Daryl Sador, which was a great trade for us. And, uh, with Dallas and Sador comes in and was really solid for us. And, we owed him eight million bucks over, I think, another three years or something, like a minor deal. And mm. I remember my owner's accountant saying, "You got to trade Sidor." So I wasn't very happy about it, but I, but we traded him to uh, to Tampa for Svitov, who was like the third overall pick, a big six foot right. four centerman. 
he came in and geez, he looked good. He looked so good. And Hitchcock really liked him. He looked like he was going to become one of those big power number two centermen. I was thrilled with him. I get fired, and then they decide they get into a contract dispute, and the kid said, screw you guys, I'm going back to Russia. So he never come back and played. <laughs> I, so you know what? I, there was, so I did the Fedorov deal for Todd Marchand, which was a fun deal. I mean, Berkey didn't want Fedorov. And we, I needed a Russian to, to try to put the wraps on. on uh, I was having major problems with Nikolai Zherdev, and I, I thought Sergey could come in and help him, and you know that was a, a tough deal, but it was a good one. Sergey played about another ten years; it was unbelievable. I thought he was near the end; he was like thirty-four when I traded for him. Totally, I think he played till he was forty-some. So, <laughs> so that was we had some fun. We, it was some fun deals, but no, no real blockbusters. You know, the biggest one I made was moving from third in the draft to number one in the draft and, and picking up Rick Nash. That was probably the biggest deal I made. Yeah, huge deal. I'm curious, Doug, before the coronavirus stopped the world, which team were you liking to go all the way? I, I realize that's a tough question for sure. Well, you know what? I, I really liked Boston, the way they were playing. You know, they were they were really uh, playing a complete game. Uh, they, you know, obviously they go to the finals last year, and they looked like they didn't miss a beat. Usually when you go to the finals, you have a tough time coming back the next year, but they, they really look good. I, I'll tell you the team that, you know, I really like them in the East, and I was, I mean, you can't look by St. Louis, but I really like Colorado. I don't know if their goaltending would have been good enough, but I thought Colorado, with the way they were playing, you know, they, Boston, Washington, St. Louis were the four teams I really looked at, which would have been a dream Final Four for me with the way they were all playing and the style they all play and the character they all have, you know? Yeah, totally. And what is your first hockey memory? First hockey memory is uh, I went to skate at the Civic Stadium in Summerside, and I was probably about six. And I remember my mother uh, saying to, to my father, Jimmy, said, well, we never have to worry about him being in hockey with the way he just looked like on his skate. <laughs> and mom and dad, I don't know if I really remember that, but mom and dad, I remember the first time going skating, and I and I. Mom and Dad laughed about that for the next forty years or fifty years of their life as I, nice. as I as I made a living basically out of hockey my whole career. So yeah. it was kind of funny to think about that. But I had some so many great memories of of hockey and PEI. I'll never forget yeah. playing junior in Summerside. Dad, Dad, and his buddy used to come to the games, and I'd see them at the end of the rink, and they were listening to, they had the transistor radio up to their ear because they were listening to the play-by-play of our junior games, you know, at the time, and this was in the early 70s, and I thought, hey, Dad, why is he listening to the radio? Why wasn't he just watch my game, you know? And then I found out years later, it was a flask full of vodka, and the <laughs> volume button was, the volume button was, uh, was where you got the, you got the nice. booze at him, so. Have a little pull from the volume. <laughs> That's nice. Exactly. So <laughs> lots of fun memories. But anyway. That's awesome. <laughs> is is there a sport that rivals hockey for you? No, not really. You know, I, I, I loved college football. You know, we lived ten years in Columbus, so I I really got into following uh, college football. Kirk Herbstreet became a real good friend of mine because he he was living in Columbus and a big hockey fan and we did some radio stuff together in Columbus. So I started to get into college game day and I still really enjoy uh, college game day. My son's a big University of Michigan fan, so I really follow them close. And yeah, I, I, you know, my daughter worked for the University of Miami when she was a student at the University of Miami. She was, 
she was actually worked for the ACC and uh, she was a video replay girl on the sideline. So every time there was a video replay, she'd take the headset out to the field for the referee. So mm. every Saturday we used to see her hand on TV. <laughs> so that was, so I, I follow college football, so I, I enjoy it, you know, but it's hockey. It's hockey all around. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. All right. Let's get outside of hockey. And of course, what, what you're known for, uh, I just want to rip through a few questions here and, and get to know you a little bit more. What's the yeah. music like in the McLean house as a kid growing up? Like what, what are the bands that your parents are playing? Oh my God. Yeah, my dad owned a bar and, uh, and a nightclub and, uh, it was a big part of our life. So, I mean, you, you wouldn't know these names, but how Lone Pine played at my father's bar, uh, Alexander Ragtime Reed played at my father's bar, Adam Tamoon. They were all sort of folky rock type of guys out in country. Mm-hmm. So there was some really, uh, and, and a really interesting thing that my, my dad's bar was in Summerside and, and Murray was a phys ed teacher in Summerside. And one of her first singing gigs was at my father's bar on the weekend. So, no way. uh, so it was kind of a, it was sort of a hot spot in those days. And I, I, I'll never forget dad, uh, he used to be at the bar till two in the morning and I used to have hockey practice at six in the morning. And I'll never forget, uh, going in to say, Hey dad, uh, let's, time to go to practice mm-hmm. and he would have got home at two and he'd lean over to the bed table and he grabbed the keys and that hit me in the chest at the door of the bedroom and i was like 13 at the time so i would drive around and i'd pick up jim clark who who later became my assistant gm but we were like 13 at the time and jimmy as i told you was involved with the draper deal and george matthews who became my radio play-by-play guy he lived in the same block as me and sometimes i'd drive the boys to practice and the cops used to say to dad Jim, you can't let the young fella drive. And he'd say, come on, guys, he's careful. You know, that's that was the old days in PEI. You know? Yeah, totally different <laughs> different days. And exactly. what was your first concert? Oh, what was my first concert? Oh, my God. I, I think it might have been, I think at my first conference, when I was doing my master's at the University of Western Ontario, and... Canada Cup game was on. Really, the big game where Lemieux and the guys made the biggest play of the century on a goal. And I was leaving an Elton John concert at Maple Leaf Gardens with my wife wow. during that game. And I'm thinking, every time I hear about the replay of that great play on that winning goal, I was at an Elton John concert at Maple Leaf Gardens. Like, seriously. <laughs> Talk about it. Talk about the things you do for your wife, eh? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Doug, with all the free time on our hands, which shows have you been binge-watching lately? Well, we've we really sort of focused on Ozark because yeah. uh, Jill and I had watched two, uh, two seasons and my son Clark come down from Chicago a couple of three weeks ago, actually, when this hit because he was off work. So he's been down here. So we had to catch up on Ozark and... So we're just getting ready to start the third season tonight, and then the this tiger thing has sort of occupied everybody's uh, time. <laughs> the tiger King is insane. Whatever it is, but anyway, yeah. I haven't watched it. I I fought <laughs> it, but they've been in there watching it. So, so that's sort of. But we've been picking a movie every night. We did Bombshell. I mean, it's it's you know what? I as terrible as this pandemic is, as devastating as it is, it's. You know, we, we don't get a chance to, for our family to be together very often anymore. And Clark's here from Chicago, and my daughter lives three minutes from us. So it's been, it's been nice to have all of us together during these 
challenging and awful times. But yeah. uh, let's just hope it get, hope it gets over. But you know, it's been a, a a different type of family time, to be quite honest. You know. Yeah, I mean, there's a silver lining. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you get into comic books as a kid? Are you loving all the superhero type movies, the Spider-Man and Deadpool, Batman and all that? Oh, I hate them. I do. Okay. I mean, I never, I, I mean, I was more of an Archie guy, you know, Jughead guy, mm-hmm. but that's the extent, but I, I never re I mean, I, I did the Batman, I did the Superman and that was about the extent. And I, I gotta tell you, I can't warm up to them now. I, I sort of like to go to real like type movies, you know, like, you know, I read a lot of James Patterson books, so that pretty well tells okay. you how warped how warped I am. You know, right, right. Actually, the funny story: James Patterson's mother in law lives in my in my building just upstairs. Oh wow! Uh, uh, so I've so I've gone to a couple of cocktail parties at her place, and James has been the host, which has been kind of weird. Yeah. Last time I saw him, all he wanted to do was talk to me about Rick Nash because he was playing <laughs> with the Rangers. Something and geez, nice. this is the guy who makes ninety million a year off writing books. Why do you want to talk about Rick Nash? Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, awesome, Doug. I want to respect your time. Uh, I've got a couple more questions, and, and then I'll let you go here. What are your thoughts on legalized marijuana? You know what? I, I really it, it sort of was funny when it was happening in Canada. And I'd be telling I you know obviously I've lived in the U.S. now for probably close to forty years and right. spend our summers in PEI. And I kept saying you know it's telling my buddies down here it was going to be legalized and they'd be shaking their heads. But you know what? I, I I've sort of I, I I can't say I'm against it. I really can't. I've never been a, a user. I I guess I never got involved because I was in professional sports and it was something that I thought well. I, the last thing I need to be involved in, but mm-hmm. you know, good friends of mine have, and I, I just, I, I guess I'm, I'm for it right now. When I see, you know, I'm hoping it's going to be lots of health benefits, so I, I, I'm for it. And 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 the other thing is, is, the only Starbucks in the world that ever went broke was in Summerside, PEI. They couldn't compete with Tim Hortons, so the beautiful Starbucks store they built is now the PEI Cannabis Store, which is kind of funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, last question for you, and it's an oddball one. Have you ever had a near-death experience? You know what? I It happened to me when I was playing peewee hockey, and I went around the net, and I, I jammed the stick in my stomach, and I was in the hospital for like six weeks. Wow. And, and I never, and it was a spleen situation, and it never, and I was really sick. And I, I never thought it was a serious thing. And then my parents told me after the fact, no, no, it was, it was really serious. You were in, you were in a, you know, you were in a world of hurt, but I didn't realize it. So I've never really had one. No, yeah. you know, that was it. That was the extent. Right. Right. Well, right on, man. Thank you again for taking the time here today, Doug. Uh, I really appreciate you jumping on to be a guest on Twitter. You're easy to find. You're simply at Doug McLean. Thanks a lot, man. It was uh, fun, Todd. Good luck with the podcast. Yeah, thank you, man. Uh, thanks again, and I guess we'll uh, we'll see you online. The Toddcast Podcast on ToddHancock.ca. Hi, it's Jennifer, a founder of the Go Kid Go Network. Do your kids love wacky worlds, superheroes, and inventing? Of course they do. That's why our shows Bobby Wonder and Lucy Wow are set in Pflugerville, the nonstop fun and adventure universe where imagination, creativity, STEM, and positive role models abound. Join the Pflugerville fun by searching for Bobby Wonder and Lucy Wow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.